All right, everyone, take a seat. It is time now for Q&A. Thank you for asking all the questions last week. I had lots asked, but, uh, well, not too many, actually. We've only got six. That's uh, a few less than the 11 from last week. You'll be pleased to know. Uh, but the first one is, what place does dreaming have in the Christian life? That's a good question, isn't it? I, I think that this is asking whether or not dreams will be used by God as a way of communicating with us. Uh, if you do a search throughout the Bible, which is what I did in preparing the answer to this question, you'll see that God's used dreams from time to time to speak directly to people. Uh, so, for example, in the Old Testament, we saw how it is that God spoke to Jacob and Joseph and Solomon and to Job and to Daniel. And then also in the New Testament in particular, we see dreams that were uh, given to Joseph and also to Mary. Not only did he give dreams to God's people at different times, he also gave them the ability to interpret dreams. So, for example, Joseph was able to do that and so was Daniel. Uh, now, I know that some people in this room have experienced dreams that seem to have come from God and it's very, very possible that they have. Uh, I know I've woken up sometimes in the middle of the night with a dream and I've it, something's been clear to me or I've suddenly started to pray for somebody because I've been dreaming about that. Uh, but it's really important for us to realise that God will not say something in a dream that is not consistent with the Bible. And so we know that we have the Bible as our, for our sort of certain uh, word from God and anything that comes in a dream needs to be matched up against that. Um, but it may well be that God uses the dream to particularly highlight an aspect of his character or help you come to a clear mind about something you've been foggy about and there's no reason why he wouldn't do just that as he's done in the past. Question two. What does Mary's headpiece represent? Oh, I'm a little bit confused about this question, but I presume that it's asking about uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the kind of things that we see painted on her head in religious sort of paintings. Uh, I'm not really very qualified to answer this because I don't really have much uh, in the way of Roman Catholic tradition and there's nothing in the Bible that says anything about it. But from my re the research I did, it seems it's possibly a veil maybe to represent her virginity, um, or alternatively, it's a crown that represents the idea that she's queen of heaven. Now, this is not something you read in the Bible. Uh, this is something the Roman Catholic Church invented and was sanctioned by a pope only 65 years ago. How about that? Uh, the Bible speaks very highly of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and in fact, there's a section where it says, uh, Hail Mary. Uh, it's in the Bible. It's in Luke's Gospel. But other than Mary being remarkably fortunate to have been chosen by God to have the honour of giving birth to Jesus, she's no different to you or to me in terms of her sinlessness or her supernatural abilities or anything like that. Question three. Why didn't Jesus have a wife? Well, there's nothing in the Bible to tell us the answer to this question other than he didn't. Uh, but I found an interesting article on the gotquestions.org website that came up with some interesting suggestions that I thought I might share with you that I think probably makes sense. Uh, one was that maybe he was too busy to be focused on having a family, given the demands of his ministry, and he knew he was dying young. That's one suggestion that was offered. Interesting. Uh, maybe he didn't want anybody to worship any children that he had, uh, or the wife that he married, um, or maybe it was so that uh, 
because he could not become one flesh with a person who was sinful. Or maybe even that his bride was not the church then because he'd have an actual bride, a particular woman in time. There are all sorts of theories, but clearly God did not want Jesus to have a romantic connection with someone. Uh, he remained a virgin his entire life and did not get married for all those sorts of reasons and a whole lot of other interesting theological kind of ideas that we can have as we, we think through this. At the end of the day, um, we know that Jesus did not marry. And as I said last week in our fourth of the series on Song of Songs, uh, what we learn about this from this is that Jesus did not need to be married to be a complete human. In fact, he's the most complete human of all and yet remained single his entire life. And so there's something that teaches us very important about marriage and about singleness as well. As does this question, question four, are there any relationships in heaven? Well, we read in that there is no marriage in heaven. So even though we elevate marriage and sexual relationships so high in life, and for a good reason, as we've looked at over the last four weeks in Song of Songs, we, we need to reflect on the fact that they're going to end in this life. Uh, I presume this is also the case for other relationships with other family members as well. Although the parable of the rich man and Lazarus sees that he refers still to his brothers even though he's in hell. I don't know if we can necessarily take that, take too much from that particular parable. But what is clear from this is even though we say, oh, imagine what it would be like not to have a relationship with my wife or husband in heaven or, or my dear friends or my brother or my parents or whoever. The Bible says that those relationships really matter almost nothing compared to the relationship we have with Jesus. Now, does that mean that those relationships that I've talked about are not valuable? Oh, you bet they are. But it means that the relationship with Jesus is just so incredibly better than any other relationship we've had that it won't even be noticed that we won't be married or have those relationships with others. And that's a mind-blowing concept, isn't it? To think how awesome that relationship with God will be like in heaven. Question five, what does the Bible say about when it is permissible to remarry? Well, the most obvious is when a person is widowed. Uh, when a person's spouse passes away, they're permitted by God to remarry. But what about after divorce? Well, the Bible makes it clear that God hates divorce. Because after all, all marriage is a contract of commitment which serves as a safe context for being truly vulnerable with someone else, which we saw over the last few weeks in the Song of Songs when it doesn't happen. And it's also this secure environment for bringing up children. And when a marriage ends in divorce, it shows a broken promise. But there are two situations in the Bible where divorce is permitted. Uh, the first is the situation where a married person is unfaithful to their spouse. So if a person has been deserted by their husband or wife, then that has caused that marriage to fail and therefore though that person who has been deserted is free in this situation to remarry. A second situation is where a Christian is deserted by an unbelieving spouse. Interesting, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 7 verse 15 says that if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. But it also says, verse 16 of chapter 7, 
Don't you wives realise that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realise that your wives might be saved because of you? So in those two cases, divorce is permitted. The second one is if you're married to a non-Christian, don't feel you need to break up with that relationship. It's okay to remain as you are. But if that person leaves you, then you're free. And I take it that if divorce is permitted, then there's freedom to pursue another marriage. And finally, question six, why should a person give up the fun things in life in order to become a Christian? You ever heard anyone ask that sort of question before? It's a good one, isn't it? Uh, the simple answer is that knowing Jesus is better than anything else that the world offers. It's really simple and obvious, but we've got to state it, don't we? It might seem that getting drunk or stoned or sleeping around or partying hard is so much fun that you'll miss out on all of that if you come to Jesus. Now, on the one hand, this sort of assumes that those things are genuinely fun. Now, I think the world spends a lot of its time trying to talk those things up and saying, it's fun, it's fun. If you don't think it's fun, just remember it's fun. Okay, it's fun. Why is it not fun? It is fun. Long term, that kind of relation, that kind of lifestyle is not fulfilling and it brings pain and sadness to you and to others. And I think that's pretty clear. But even longer term, any fun that might be derived from this kind of lifestyle is dramatically overshadowed by the utter pain and despair that will come from eternal judgment and punishment. See, some people say hell won't be that bad and it might even be fun. But Jesus spoke more about hell than anyone else in the Bible and he made it very, very clear that it is more unbearable than you and I could ever imagine. Matthew 18, 9, Jesus said, If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Or the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, where we read that finally the poor man died, was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side, and the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. So that's the reason not to go to hell. But on the other hand, knowing Jesus will bring even greater joy and peace than is imaginable. See, the devil lies to people about heaven and hell all the time. He says heaven's just going to be, you know, for fuddy-duddies. And hell's, that's, you know, that's where the real party's going to be. But he is lying and he cannot be trusted. Jesus has been to hell and back so that we don't have to be there. And it's worth believing Jesus and enjoying his salvation. And I wrote that little piece on the front there to sort of follow that up. And you can also share that online. Thank you for your questions. I look more forward to a whole lot more next week.